Myself and Cameron would like to extend our gratitude to Eric George for his generous donation to the podcast. These donations go a long way in help offsetting the costs of hosting the show. Thank you, Eric. Help support the Hockey Hurts podcast by donating as little as $1 per month by visiting patreon.com slash hockey hurts. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for June 8th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And we are recording this podcast before Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final. Um, probably be a shorter one, but we we had the time to do it. Uh, we're going to give a little rundown on Game 4, because we got nothing else to do, because there's three days in between these games. So um, we'll give some some thoughts about Game 4, which I thought was the, the best the Sharks played. And yet they still don't, you know, get the series tying win out of it. Uh, but there were other things that they didn't do well, and that applies to both sides. So basically, Sharks are on the uh, cusp of losing it all. How, how do you feel if you're San Jose who, like I haven't checked any of the numbers out between game three and game four, right? So you're going to be my go-to on this, but you look at San Jose game three to game four, it, it, they looked visually like they played a bit of game. It felt like they played a bit of game, yet they come away with no result. So it's like, how do you feel knowing that you're down 3-1? You've given it your best game so far of a four-game series, and you're down 3-1. A neutral bystander would say, you got clobbered in game three in the third period in overtime. You probably didn't deserve to win that game. So that kind of evened out. But that's not how does they it, would view it. Does it feel like it's a 3-1 series to you? Yes. Yeah, it does to me as well. Like, that's the thing. Like, being a Penguins fan, there are times where you see series like this and you go, have we really been that much better? But it's looked and felt like Pittsburgh should be where they're at. There have been some score effect periods, especially game four, period three. I thought the Sharks clobbered Pittsburgh in in game four at the end there. And I don't think Pittsburgh got a scoring chance, like a legit one until Matt Cullen had that with like two minutes and change left in the period. And then it was immediately followed up by, by the fair goal, which was huge. I really, (laughs) that goal doesn't go in. I, you know, the sharks were pressing pretty hard for a long time. Yeah. It's nice to have to be on the, um, you're up to one. It's nice to have that insurance market because it just takes all the tension out of the game. Like I obviously watched the game on delay and even I felt the tension come out of the game, <laughs> knowing the result, knowing that that goes in, I was still tense watching it. So it's, it, it is amusing when that, that marker goes in, you think they go, Oh, thank God. It's, it's one of those funny things. I didn't hit tweet on it, but I almost sent something out. Like why is Eric fair on the ice this late in the game? <laughs> And I still feel the same way. I get I get the goal went in. But he hasn't been a impact player. I think he's been a pretty benign player for them. I don't think he fits the Sullivan style. Um, I don't think it was a bad signing. I think it's one where I think they'll look to move that $2 million eventually. It's funny, you know. It's funny. And I clamored for them to sign him, but... 
and I still agree with that assessment because at the time they really needed help in the bottom six. But now they have all these younger guys uh, popping up through that are faster. And, you know, I didn't want to get on a tangent about that. He scored a huge goal. I, I just thought it was funny. I almost tweeted out that why, why is this guy on the ice right now? It's funny how that works sometimes. It, it's it's funny because you're exactly right about Fair. He's just been so-so all year. He's the player that managed to actually draw a call off a off a face-off to get the power play that, that got them up 2-0, Good and point. then he gets there and scores the goal. So it's, it, it's funny that they actually called that penalty. Like, you know, it was a penalty in the regular season. It was a penalty in all the other three series. But in this series, that wasn't getting called, but he flopped and he got the call. It's just ridiculous. There were so many things that I saw throughout the entire game. You go, what? Call that. Call that. If there's one team that could have done with some power plays to get back in the game, it is San Jose. That thing is lethal. And that's been one of the problems they've had in that, yes, Pittsburgh don't take a lot of penalties anyway, but when they're there, the officials still aren't calling them. I think Pittsburgh has had the puck a lot more. So if they were calling penalties, I like, I like the, the power play discrepancy. If, if it was called the way... It should be. We lock it through. Yeah. I think the team that has the puck more, driving more, would, would draw more calls. Um, I, I did some yep. numbers on that a few years ago, and that's not the case. <laughs> there is no correlation between puck possession and power play opportunities, as weird as that sounds. Uh, that actually sounds like human bias to me. So Can't call that one, can't call that one, can't call that one, so they don't call them. Yep. That's pretty much how it works. So, and then... Um, I guess while we're on the topic of guys uh, this year, because Eric Fair had a five-versus-five points per 60 this year of .88, which is not good as a forward. No, 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 no. So he gets a huge goal, draws that penalty. Ian Cole hasn't scored in like 100-something games. He gets the first tally of the game. So, you know, it's the old mantra, Stanley Cup champions or Stanley Cup finalists get contributions up and down the lineup. And in game four, Ian Cole, and mind you, that was not an easy shot. Um, that was amazing. You look at what he did there and you go, that's first-round draft pick talent. I can, you, you see a guy do that. That was all natural ability to be able to coordinate his body to actually allow that to even happen. You can see why he got drafted so high up. He just can't put it together all the time. Well, that was amazing. It's really tough to get the puck on uh, coming across your body into one time it in general. It's not as easy as if it, it it's the other way for him. But yeah. the puck was rolling too, and he got a lot of mustard on the shot, and he just made sure he got it on net with a little bit of elevation. And you know, Martin Jones almost made a miraculous save, but Ian Cole did exactly what he has to do in a situation like that. So I thought that was really good. It does show you how Malkin can generate points if he has people around him who can make plays. Like that post up on the blue line he in traffic. Four guys. Yes, and but then to get the pass out clean out of all of those sticks to Kessel with speed created with that speed. entire thing. Yeah, not behind him, not a not too much in front of him. On the tape, blistering through, taking the defenseman wide, and just making a simple rebound shot. 
that's you know, I the kind of play that people just take for granted with players like Evgeny Malkin. And sometimes they don't lead yeah. to goals. A lot of people are only noticing it because it led to a goal. He does a lot of that that just leads to, yeah. to zone time that doesn't always have a high danger chance. But he needs the other guy on the receiving end to do something with it. And that hasn't been happening lately at even strength for him. And he's no. been getting beat up for some reason for that. Even though he's been living in the shark zone, you got to value the process in hockey because the – the goal scoring is too spotty. It's it's the other thing about it in regards to just when you say value the process, like watch what he does and value the entertainment value in that. Like it's yeah, you want to see tangible results and, and the closest you get to it because the goal scoring is spotty is zone time. So his ability to create all that zone time and stuff is amazing. But that particular assist is why I always have an argument with, with Michael Blake McCurdy on his noise factor for his points in regards to he considers all secondary assists noise. And I just I just can't see it. When you see stuff like that with Malkin, he earned that assist. Might be one play. of those um, exception to the rule plays. But that's, it's, that's one of those things where I understand his argument for the noise factor with points, totally get it, and it's great to see it represented. But that primary assist from Kessel doesn't happen unless Malkin creates all that space for it. That's all. That's the bit that I find um, amazing. And also, what a great tip from Malcolm from Kessel. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I think Malkin said something like, you know, normally off the draw, me and Sid switch, he goes down low. And I, he decided, hey, I'm just going to stay here for a second. And, um, you know, once again, Phil Kessel doing his thing. I think he's got to be the front runner for the Con Smythe, assuming Pittsburgh wins it all. I think Mario will get him. No, I think I of the stories. I think of the stories that they can write because the people that are picking this are the people that write the stories. I think that's what's going to happen. I hope I'm wrong because I'd like to see Kessel win it too. Well, it's not. There's not a large amount of voters for it. It's 18, and it's mostly Pittsburgh, San Jose people. Well, I'm hoping they give it to Kessel. I would say Kessel, Sid Murray, and I know people are. Probably like, well, why Sid? I just think if you get enamored with just the points part of it, you, you lose a lot of what Sid's able to do. He's able to turn Connor Sheary into a somewhat productive top six winger, which in turn allows Kessel to play with Benino and Haglin. And Malkin on the same argument, him being able to kind of turn Brian Rust into uh, a serviceable top six guy, at least in the short term here, with Kunitz, who... But that's how they're structured. That's just as important as Kessel. You can make the argument that Sid's got a genuine top six forward on his wing, and you can make the argument that Kessel's got a top six forward on on his wing with him in, in Haglund. Gino doesn't have a top six forward on his wing anymore because Kunitz has dropped down that list. What he can do now, he's, he's a he's a top nine forward. He's not a top six forward. So Gino's doing it with, you know, bottom six forwards basically on his line. 
So if people want to try and wonder why his production's vamoosed on him a little bit, it'll be the guys that he's playing with. Yeah, and, you know, Rust has had those great moments, but I haven't seen much in the way of generating chances outside of... He made a really great pass to Dumoulin on that one play in the first period. But other was than that, that the one where Dumoulin went wide or the one where Dumoulin went over the, the I think crossbar? that one was the over. Yeah. But still a, a great play. all that, man. Yeah, he's going to – they will come for him. He's His offensive instincts are very good. He certainly can shoot the puck, and his hands are good enough. Um, mm. He shoots harder than Paul Martin, too, and I think he's going to evolve into a, a Paul Martin type. So he'll have more opportunity to score than I think Paul. So that's been um, pretty good. And, and let me say this while we're on the Dumoulin subject. Those were the two most obvious plays of the game that he made. They weren't his best, though. No, his ability to close the gap in the neutral zone when the Sharks were trying to stretch the ice. He was assertive, smart, and in position. He was within a stick's length of the Sharks receiving the pass, and he broke up so many controlled entries. And you don't want the Sharks to have controlled entries because they do have talent to make you pay for it. He was so consistently disciplined with his gap control. I found it amazing. And it's a little bit easier when you're playing with Latang, knowing that the other side of the ice is taken care of. But he still did it, and it's a coach's dream when, when your guys are, are stepping up in the neutral zone like that confidently. He was doing that with Bailey as well, though. So he was more than comfortable doing it with a guy that could skate, knowing that, yeah, Daly will get himself out of position, but he at least has the wheels to get back. Yeah, and, you know, this Latang Dumoulin thing is something that I kind of wanted earlier in the year, and it's it's fun to watch. I think they're a great match for each other. They couldn't always it's... do it this year because they didn't quite have the ability to, but I like it. Um, so do you think the top four then would be Latang Dumoulin, Marta, Daly at the start of next year? Yeah, I think it could be. Um, Not really wanting to look too far ahead. I just sort of got there and thought about it. I mean, they've got one more year left of daily, so it's you, pretty you, mobile. You could, this is all predicated on creating cap space elsewhere, and I think you do that True. at the goalie position. <laughs> Shush. Um, or even Ian Cole. You don't need his 2.2 2 mil. You just let Pouliot play. And what, you, you re-sign Schultz? Oh, that's a tricky one and probably for another podcast. we got to figure yeah, out what yeah, the qualifying yeah, yeah. offers mean. And put it this way. The only thing I don't want to see happen is Pittsburgh becoming enamored, thinking that Justin Schultz is a player that he's not. He's getting, and smartly by uh, Mike Sullivan, him and Cole are getting sheltered minutes. They're not playing against the Sharks' top six right now. They look really good playing against the bottom six, and that's what you want from a bottom pairing being sheltered. So it's not criticism of the two players. It's some reluctance to say, hey, let's pay this other guy some money, and what if we have to elevate his role? It's probably going to look more like the Edmonton version 
Yeah, that's and that's that's the thing. If you can get there and play fifteen minutes a night in a sheltered role, you're okay. But you're not going to pay. As you said, conversation for another podcast. You're exactly right. I w- I would have no problems doing a Pouliot Schultz bottom pairing. Yeah, that oh, that well, was. Well, my I had no problem doing it this year, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's that's the thing. Pouliot's like, either playing or traded. I think those are there's no in between. Enough jerking the kid around. You play him or you don't. You move him. I'll just play him, and you're going to end up with the better offensive version of Dumoulin. I'm sorry, but Dumoulin had a full year to, to get to where he is now. Pouliot never got given that chance. So just play the kid, and he will play his way out of his mistakes, and he will get better. But uh. So I guess that, I mean, daily you could keep around for sure. Yeah. He's been a nice Love fit for the what one they, that they have to, to let work. Uh you know, it depends on what what kind of term and money he wants. If he wants to do a one-year similar money thing, it's not the worst guy to, to have around. My problem would be whose ice time is he taking? And we end up back where we were just talking about. That's it. For me, it'll be – I can't see – Lovejoy should do really what everyone in his situation should do and use the leverage he's got from playing as well. as He won't play this well ever again. This is the ceiling of what Ben Lovejoy can do. But if the Penguins do win it all, he can get there and say, right, I was a part of the defensive core of a team that won the Stanley Cup. Go off and parlay that into a contract that has him overpriced. Oh, he should do that. I wouldn't blame him at all. I just hope the no, Penguins aren't right. the ones that are doing Correct. that. So that's exactly that's exactly right. <laughs> but he's well, that pairing in the final hasn't been terrific. But it's because Sullivan is using them against the better players and allowing Schultz and Cole to survive. So there's a give and take on that. I don't think they're yeah. as bad as their underlying numbers are. I think it's usage mostly. But they do have yep. to play a little bit better to hold the Sharks off for just one more game. Because they're living in their own end. They are, and and they are definitely struggling. They were on the ice with Crosby's line, weren't they, when the sec- the Sharks' goal was scored? That's not Sid. And no, no, it was. It was. No, they not, not for what you think. Not for him losing Carlson in that split second. No. He had. For what he tried to wrap around yes, the, around the and ring. And nobody yeah. was on, I mean, nobody was directly on him. And if you're Sidney Crosby, if nobody's directly on you, that means you have all the time in the world because of who you are. And he just yeah. w- was content like every other damn player that gets in these third periods and they're so afraid to, to make a play. I'm just going to go up the wall. Well, newsflash, we've talked about it. The two, three, four check that teams use they're clogging the wall up saying, I dare you to make a play up the middle. I dare you. And nobody ever calls them out on the dare. And the few times you do get it to the middle, it's like the Eric Fair goal and the Brian Russ goal. Yeah, off they go. It, the thing that frustrated me about him looping it around was he went, was in the left corner. He threw it around to the right, the right-hand side of the rink. He could have just skated around the net and skated off. But, you know, he is human, and he panicked and didn't have to. And, yeah, yeah, you're right that he lost him in the, the zone, but it all started from that, that stupid rap. He didn't need to do it. Uh, that one, 
that one made me mad at Sid because he's so much better than that. And I get it from like, well, Lovejoy does it even in the regular season up two goals. <laughs> so those kind of plays. But from the best player on the planet, he had a little bit of time. I'm like, come on, Sid, you of all people got to make this play because no one else is. But another reason why I think you could argue Phil Kessel for Con Smythe HBK was the only line push and play that period. They weren't generating a ton of chances, but they were cleanly exiting the zone and they were using their speed. And Phil was a big part of that. Well, it's a reluctance to give away the puck. I think I think that's the the big thing in third periods is um, it's not it's not just a matter of getting out of the zone, which is all you hear from TV coverage and radio coverage. It's got to get out of the zone, but it's not about that it's getting out of the zone with control so then you have a say in what happens after that and it's tougher because they're they're pressuring you don't have as much time but you have to understand that and the support players need to 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 shorten the pass and pick a, a a lane that's down lower because if you're going to the same lane that you're normally accustomed to it's it's going to get shut down so the center's got to be swinging lower than normal the wingers have to come down you know, as a winger myself, you, you like to cheat a little bit above the hash marks if possible. But when you're getting, uh, when the other team's defensemen are pinching and they have a green light and they're just going to bear down and bully over, you got to get almost below the hash marks and read the play when your D are coming around with the puck rimming around the boards. And if you get down low, you get an extra second, maybe a half second in some cases. But if the center's low there, you got a nice 10-foot pass to the center, and he's got at least 10 to 15 feet to say, okay, what do I got now? And that's just the thing. Like, I think one of the reasons why the HBK line could get out of the zone is that the two fastest parts of that line are the wingers. So they could get low. They were happy to get low because they knew that they could then skate past the pinching defenseman once they got control of the puck. And that's why they could get out of the zone better than any of the other three lines that, that Pittsburgh had is that you you get Haglin low and you know that he's going to get high really quickly again. It's, it's And Benuno presents himself really, really well to make sure that the wingers do have someone to give that release off to. His angles sure. he takes for puck receptions are great, like you just said. It's, it's an, an, you know, it's a skill that kind of goes overlooked at times, but... If you're it's the guy making the pass, it's so it's such a great feeling when you got a, an easy target and the guy's taking a lane where you know you're not putting him in a bad spot. Yeah. So it makes makes life a lot easier. Anything um on the sharks that you've kind of noticed? I've noticed that I think Brett Burns is trying too hard and that's what's done him in. It has, but boy, oh boy, there's not a player on that team that scares me more than him. Oh, I don't know. I reckon Thornton goes close, and it's not because of their beards. <laughs> but, but he, you know what? You're probably right. It probably is Burns. Burns Just, is a forward by trade. You know, he was an awesome NHL forward at one point in time, and he's on defense. So when he gets the puck up top, he can do things. He is willing to get shots through, and there's been a few he's barely missed on. I know. Like, if you're a Penguins fan, you do have to sit there and go, yeah, we're up 3-1, but we have been very lucky with the amount of posts that have been hit and just the wow, sheer volume. Ways. 
No, no, I understand that. But the sheer volume of shots that Burns has finally managed to start getting through, but just haven't actually hit the target. That's why he's the scariest to me. Because his individual shot attempts, he's generating, I think, more than anybody in the series. And as great as Thornton is, I've always wondered why he doesn't shoot more because he has a great shot himself. So he's never really the trigger man, so to speak. He's mint at making other people the trigger man, which makes him so scary. But if I were to say who's bothering me the most in the series as as a viewer, like... Brent Burns is an animal. And, and if the Sharks were to come back, I think he'd be my con Smythe with Martin Jones based on how he's playing. Yeah, Burns, he'd be mine. And to be honest, it, it would probably end up, for them to get back into the series, it would require one of those two players to be a ridiculous standout to get it to happen. I think Jones has already kind of done his part. Oh, no, he has, but it's like you get there and go, he's probably going to have to pitch a shutout the way they're going at some You're point not through this. shut the Penguins out. I, I know that. I don't think. They, they, I mean, they haven't been shut out these playoffs, have they? They've I'm going to look few, that up I've, right now. They've had a few one-goal games. I know that, but I can't remember if they've actually been shut. Anyway, like you make a good point with, with Jones. I mean, he's played fantastic for the four games, and... He's he's come up with just the one win, so that's that's been really tough. But for them to get through, yeah, I suppose it would be either one, wouldn't it, really? The only shutout, if I'm reading this correct, the only shutout in the Penguins' postseason period for or against was uh, Murray shut out the Rangers in Game 4 when it was 5 nothing. Oh, radio. So... There you go. So the, there's Penguins been no other... They haven't shut teams out. They haven't been shut out. I mean, they were out shooting teams that was 12 games in a row up until the last game. They got out shot 20 to 24. Mm. And that broke their streak. They've been... Their shot volume's been incredible. In fact, twice in the series, they've hit 40 or more. It's, it's a remarkable turnaround. So... That's why I think it's tough to shut Pittsburgh down because shot volume will eventually lead so to, to results. It's funny, you know, Pittsburgh are in a situation here where it's the fact that they've got four lines that they're happy to roll out. Now, the Sharks do have enough quality centers on that team to lengthen the depth down the mm-hmm. lineup. It's tough now. But, they The hurdle yeah, injury is lo- killing them. Yeah, and now they're loading up, if you know what I mean. So, I mean, that was... <laughs> Before the hurdle injury, they were already trying to load up anyway. But if you're load up in the top Jose, six. Yeah. But if you're San Jose, do you get there and, and because you've lost lost a hurdle, do you do you try and restructure the way you've got your lineup and try and string out the depth so that it's harder for Pittsburgh? Or do you just go with the overload and just throw them out there every third shift? I think you do both. And it's kind of the argument I've made for Pittsburgh, and and they don't really do it as often as I'd like. You can do, you can have your lines spread, but off TV timeouts, off icings, get Sid and Gino out there in some situations with Kunitz. Come back with the HBK line after that. 
and then maybe the fourth line, and then you bump the other guys back. The Sharks are going to have to do something similar where they get Thornton, Marlowe, or I'm sorry, Thornton, Pavelski. Well, I, I suppose it could be Marlowe or Couture, depending on what they want to go with. I think it's been Couture lately that they've bumped up. Yep. They'll have to do some of that, but as far as doing a, a whole game of that, if I'm Mike, or I almost said Mike Johnston, if you're, <laughs> if you're Mike Sullivan at home, line the H, line best versus best with them, and just let the other lines crush the Sharks' depth, because yeah, that's Nick Spalling, Zubris, these other guys, they're not. They're not going to outplay a Sid and a Geno line. They may not even outperform the Cullen line. Well, the way it's going at the moment, that's probably a fair argument. But that's that's sort of why I asked the question, because you get there and go, San Jose does have a deep roster. It's just that the Boer has, and it's worked all other, the, the three other series, so you, you can understand why they've sort of stuck with it. But they're at a point now where it's like it hasn't worked enough so far. Why not spread it out? A little bit. And, you know and what this reminds see, me of? What does this remind you of? The last time Pittsburgh got this deep in the playoffs and had a, a, a three-line approach that was just a matchup hell. Instead of Phil Kessel, it was Jordan Stahl. And Bilesma fed Crosby to the Wolves. He said, here, you're going to take Zetterberg and Lidstrom. You're probably not going to score much. And Malkin said, okay, I guess I'll just win a con Smythe. And then Jordan Stahl's line was able to, to drive play at least a little bit. Um, and that's the same case here. You, yep. you, you, you have a team, and the Sharks are nowhere near as good as the 07 to 09 Red Wings. Not even close. Those two Red Wing teams, I, they're my gold standard for cap era hockey as far as I'm concerned. So if the Sharks want to load up their one line, Pittsburgh could do the same thing. Okay, best first best. Let's see what the rest has got. Oh, this looks good, and it's a great matchup. Furthermore, DeBoer has not done a good job at, at finding minutes for his bottom pairing like Sullivan has done for his. And that Sharks bottom pairing is getting lit up. It's, um, it's kind of funny, though, because... That three-center, that's the thing. The Stahl, Malkin, Crosby thing was considered like the three-center model, right? In this situation, for me, it's more like it's a three-line model because Even better, obviously you know? that... Well, the main the main factor, obviously, is, is Kessel's the winger as opposed to a center on that. And Benino we'll being it. very good at what he's good at. I think yeah. he's... Man, Vancouver... <laughs> Thanks, I Thank guess. Thank you, Vancouver. Thank you. It's night and day. I mean, could you imagine Brandon Sutter trying to, to, to pull this all off? No. No, I can't. And it's just it's one of those things where you, you do look at how much Canada has helped Pittsburgh with this situation they're in because you've got Vancouver and you've got Toronto. Toronto's makes you, there's an argument for why they move Castle that I'll listen to. Oh no no no, yeah makes perfectly good but sense. But I don't I don't 
get the didn't didn't the Canucks also give him Clendenning in a second? Yeah. Not, not that Clendenning was anything, but you know, uh, you take a flyer on a, a on a guy in a trade. Well, guess what? One of the flyers that the Penguins took on in a trade was Brian Dumoulin in the stall trade. You just never know. Yeah, sure, we'll, we'll the take other... the extra player. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, um, yeah, no, it's good. So that's the thing. It's like we've got Friday morning my time and Thursday night your time. Yeah. Um, the only thing I'm pretty sure of is that you're going to see Pittsburgh with a lot of jump. They're going to be getting after it. I'd be shocked if they laid an egg. As far as the game results, you know, I'm sure the Sharks don't feel like their season, they don't want that to end. So the only thing I'm certain of is is no egg by Pittsburgh. No, I don't I, I, I don't think you're wrong there. I think it'll um, be one of their better efforts of the entire postseason, which has included a lot of good efforts. And it'd be nice to have them win it at home. I, I want to say, I wrote the other day, that it's the first time Pittsburgh will have the ability to clinch a championship in one of the major sports. And that is correct. Since 1960, Bill Mazarowski's famous walk-off home run against the New York Yankees. And I believe uh, Bill is going to be dropping the puck on Game 5 before <laughs> the game. So I think that's pretty awesome, too. Um, that, that'll be pretty cool. The only thing I do wish is uh, I, I, it kills me that John Barbaro is not the, the PA guy anymore. He, I, I, he I, never I, got the opportunity to uh, have the Penguins at home when they won. I, I, I miss him. Was, I'm glad I got to Pittsburgh and heard a Lemieux goal call with him. I was shattered when I went to Pittsburgh in 2010 and he pulled the pin on his job. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I I, I, do miss hearing his voice on on the PA. No offense mm-hmm. to the new guy, but it's tough to replace a legend. Well, whoever ends up doing the radio when Lang retires has got a tough job. <laughs> Impossible job. Exactly. Who's replacing Vin Scully? Same, same thing. Like, Well, Vin's the best of all time in any sport, but... You know, you can't replace those kind of people. No. All right, so it's going to get interesting in the next 48 hours. Yeah. It's been a long wait, which is why you're getting a podcast in between. So uh, I guess the only thing I have left is to plug some stuff for us. Uh, You can support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash hockeyhurts. Hockey underscore Hertz on Twitter, Walshy66 on Twitter, Gunner Stahl on Twitter, and HockeyBuzz.com for Penguins articles from yours truly. Uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Hockey Hertz podcast. Next edition, maybe a championship uh, caliber broadcast, or uh, maybe some nervous <laughs> feelings heading back to California. So uh, until Cal- then, Calibre. yeah. Until then, we'll see you.